candy maker is fined for an explosion that killed seven people. And supporters and opponents of the state joining a carbon emissions cutting program weigh in on a report from the governor's working group. Welcome to the Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. I'm Randy Parker, in for Tim Lambert today, and your host on this daily trip around the region's top stories. It's Friday, October 6th, and this is being recorded at 10 a.m. Let's get started. An investigation by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration finds a chocolate factory in West Reading failed to evacuate workers before a gas explosion killed seven people. WITF's Gabriela Martinez has more on the findings and OSHA's proposed penalties. Investigators say R.M. Palmer Company did not respond to workers' concerns about the smell of gas in the building. The company is also cited for not clearly marking exits, incorrect use of electrical cords, and not properly documenting the accident. For an explosion that took seven lives, injured several people, damaged neighboring properties, and displaced many from their jobs, OSHA is recommending a penalty of roughly $49,000. Kevin Chambers, director of OSHA's Harrisburg Area Office says that penalty was determined according to a standard formula. OSHA penalties are based upon the classification of the citation that was issued, the employer size, and then other factors such as the employer's uh, inspection history, safety health management programs, corrective actions. R.M. Palmer said in a statement that it does not agree that it has violated any provision of OSHA's workplace standards. But Chambers says the tragedy could have been avoided if the company had followed proper safety procedures. It's important to listen to your employees. It's important to take their observations in, into consideration uh, because they need to work together with the employees and the employer together to ensure that they're providing a safe and helpful work environment. Uh, it, it, it only works well when, when everybody's included with it. The company has 15 business days to contest the citations. The governor's working group on the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative recently said it could not agree that Reggie is the best program for Pennsylvania to reduce emissions, though the group broadly supports the idea of a cap-and-trade program. States that are in Reggie agree to cap power sector emissions, and those caps decline over time. Power plants have to pay for emissions that exceed the cap. That's intended to make dirtier energy sources more expensive and less competitive with cleaner sources competing to sell power to the electric grid. The money power plants pay for emissions goes to the respective states to help with the energy transition. The working group's decision not to endorse Reggie specifically means people who want Pennsylvania to join it and those who don't are interpreting the decision to support their message. My colleague Rachel McDevitt from our State Impact Pennsylvania collaboration got some of that reaction. The working group on the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative could not agree that Reggie is the best program for Pennsylvania to reduce emissions. But it did agree that a cap-and-invest regulation that generates money to ease the energy transition would be, quote, optimal. It would prefer the program cover all states with which Pennsylvania shares an electric grid. Mandy Warner with the Environmental Defense Fund says that's encouraging. I don't find it disappointing. I think it is a a recognition that, yes, Reggie was not going to ever be the end-all, be-all policy for the power sector, but it is such a strong foundation. And again, it it is ready now. Warner says the state should start with Reggie and then look to work with other states to manage emissions. Shapiro's office said it is reviewing the group's report while it waits for a decision from Commonwealth Court, which is weighing whether the state can join Reggie. 
Allie Gold Roberts is the state policy director for Ceres, a nonprofit that pushes businesses toward environmental sustainability. She says if the state participates in Reggie, the debate will shift from the program itself to what to do with the new revenue. And I think once money is on the table, communities and partners and advocates are going to be really interested in getting a slice of that pie. And I think it would be really hard to pull back. But Senate Majority Leader Joe Pittman, a Republican from Indiana County, whose district holds some of the state's last coal-fired power plants, says the group's failure to find consensus means Shapiro should immediately withdraw Pennsylvania. In a statement, Pittman says Shapiro should look for a legislative solution which respects the need for family-sustaining jobs and positively impacts Pennsylvania's economy. Each morning, we look at more than a dozen news sites and pick out a few stories to put on your radar. Here's what you need to know. Legislation to keep an animal tranquilizer accessible for its intended use by veterinarians, but criminalize it in combination with other drugs, has passed the Pennsylvania State House. Our sister newsroom, LNP Lancaster Online, reports the bill passed 169 to 34 on Wednesday and goes to the state Senate. Sometimes referred to as Trank, xylazine is a prescription sedative that vets use to safely treat large farm animals and household pets like cats and dogs. But it's also being added to fentanyl and heroin, causing public health concerns. Advocates say the bill will help keep the drug accessible for its intended purpose while limiting misuse. A scam is targeting people with Medicaid insurance. Our partners at WESA in Pittsburgh report the State Department of Human Services says scammers are contacting people through text messages and identify themselves as health services, health solutions, or innovative partners. They instruct potential victims to call them. If the person does call, the scammers lie, telling the caller that their Medicaid policy was terminated and that they must pay additional premiums. DHS notes that it will never request personal or account information over the phone, via email, or through text. AccuWeather's seasonal outlook forecast is out, and it predicts the Northeast will be warmer on average over the winter, but will get more snow than last year. PennLive's report on the forecast included the note that the Harrisburg area got about six inches of snow last year. Normally, we'd see about 23 inches around here. The Weather Service says the Northeast could see some nor'easter storms in January and February, but possibly as early as November. The forecast says temperatures in central Pennsylvania will be one or two degrees above average between December and February. That does it for the Morning Agenda, a daily news podcast from WITF, where the only agenda is you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at any of the places you find your favorite podcasts. I invite you to give us your rating, write a review, and tell a friend about it. For Joe Ulrich, our audio guy, I'm Randy Parker, sitting in for Tim Lambert. He'll be back on the 12th. Be well, and we'll talk again tomorrow. Tomorrow.